<laughs> Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford. And I'm your other host, Matthew Rodriguez. And we have two returning guests today. I mean, returning Scoobies. both from last week and just returning in general. Um, two full-time <laughs> Scoobies. Yay. We have Christopher Downs. Hi. And Anthony Oliveira. Hello, everybody. Did one of you cough while the theme song was playing? I, I did not, no. No. <laughs> um, well... You want to go okay. again? We all know what the we all know what the theme song sounds like. <laughs> it's like wired into my like my nervous system at this point. Matthew was like, "Ian, hurry the fuck up!" Um, oh. Nerf Herder is going to send us a cease and desist. <laughs> Do not cough during our theme song. Um, so today we're here to discuss the finale of the arc but the second to last episode of season four primeval did i even say that right primeval primeval i don't know what are words right <laughs> i'm pretty sure it's a pun like it's it's primeval primeval in the sense that they're going back to the first slayer but also it's time to deal with the prime evil right like the big bad so. <laughs> but i think it's yeah well she says primeval in the episode yeah when she's talking to McNamara, right? Right, about the primeval forces. Oh. I think that it's more... <laughs> to me, it was about... To me, the the thing is about, like, this whole season has been about, like, technology and and the army and, like, these really things. But, like, it's it's about, like, the magic and demons at the end of the day. Yeah, going back to the beginning, right? It's, like, that... it's like rejecting the, 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 the patriarchal structure of it all and going back to the magic. Fair. Which makes it funny that the first shot is the ruined school, right? Like, it's like, go back to before, right? <laughs> go back to what you came from. So, we get, we start with Riley and Adam, because that's how the last episode ended. Um, Riley says mother, I mean, uh, Adam says mother a lot, talking about... Mm -hmm. <laughs> Riley so, calls Adam mother, I would <laughs> <yeah>. love that. <laughs> If they just really wanted to make it really fucked up, a really fucked up dynamic. He calls Adam mother and they kiss on the mouth. <laughs> um, a thing we have never talked about is the fact that I, okay, listen, I, this may be messed up, but I find Adam really hot. Am I the only one? <laughs> Anthony. I think he's really beautiful. Like, as an object, but also like when we see him in Restless without all the monster makeup, it's like, oh, who is this handsome, tall gentleman with blue eyes? It's like, it really <laughs> oh, works. Yeah, he's strong very... agree. Strong agree. Yeah. And I think what it was masking itself for me for so long watching the episode, um, going, I'm just, I'm really taken with this, the makeup work and the prosthetics. It's just, mm -hmm. it's done so well. It's just, it's magnificent work. I think I'm a little turned on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just appreciating the craftsmanship and then, no, no, I just think he's hot. Yeah, it's, I mean, he's got those traps for days too. But um, okay. also I think what makes him work as a character design is like how sad and like he's got that beautiful human face showing and then the rest of the monster there. But there's something about George Hertzberg's eyes that are really sad and like, I don't want to step on next week's episode, but when Buffy turns to him in the dream and is like, what was your name before Adam? And he says, not a person alive remembers. It's so heartbreaking. Like, we never get a backstory for who that person who used to be a Cub Scout, um, who is, like, in a lot of ways, Riley's double for this whole story. 
we never get a sense of who that was at all. It's completely suppressed by the narrative. I find that really cool. Mm. <laughs> he has a sexy voice. Mm-hmm. And if you go to George Hertzberg on uh, Wikipedia, that's a that's a handsome photo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of always assumed he was a stunt double, like a stunt actor. But I don't think so, because when he's fighting Buffy towards the end of the episode, there's right. clearly a different actor playing the stunts. So he was cast for, I guess, his looks and his acting. And he, I don't think he does a bad job. He's really good here. Um, we guys, you guys are talking about the mother thing, but I actually really like the way he calls, he insists on calling Riley brother, because it mm. picks up all that like fratriarchy stuff that's been happening all season. Like this sort of Buffy was talking about testosterone poisoning last episode. And it's like, it's here again, like become explicit that this is about the way men poison other men, the way he sort of uh, makes a ruin of uh, Forrest in this episode, um, the way he destroys Maggie Walsh and completely reincorporates her into the structure that killed her. Like, we're talking about this weird, there is no frat boy episode of season four, but weirdly the initiative is performing that function here. Mm -hmm. Right. I put this in my notes. I feel like Adam is, while he is the official big bad, the big bad is, like, growing up and growing pains and, like, drifting from your friends, which is kind of... Oh, boo, boo. <laughs> <laughs> like boo. when someone says Sex in the City, the real... One of the main characters is the city. Um, I I don't know, because I feel like that's kind of like season six, where, like, Warren and the trio are this, like, kind of annoying big bad until they're not. Mm-hmm. But then they're not even really the big bad. It's Willow turning evil, and it's Willow's you know, addiction, and... I don't know, I feel that season four and season six relate in that way, where they have really great standalones, although season six, I don't know that it has as many. Um, you know? Doesn't that make sense? No, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, we talked, I think that season four and six mirror each other in that it's less about the overall arc and more about the individual mini-arcs that the characters go through, as opposed to season five, where there's a lot less character work and a lot of plot. Like, plot, plot, plot every episode. And I love a plot, 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 so... Um. (laughs) (laughs) But this, like, this Adam storyline, the initiative storyline, still feeds that theme, right? Like, even in this uh, early speech, Adam is... um, He's thinking about synthesis, right? Like, when he starts listing, like, the problems with demons, the problem with humans, he's putting his finger on where the episode is going to end, which is that, well, what if you could... Adam's vision and the Scooby's vision at the end of the episode is the same. Like, what if you could combine the best qualities of something uh, so that you could achieve something greater? And Adam's vision of it is patriarchal right like what if you could just take what you wanted what if you could just appropriate like the prognosis demon and like the technology the modem (laughs) the dial-up modem (laughs) in his head like what if you could just add all the things to yourself whereas um the scooby's vision is more i don't know like what do you want to call it like a feminist vision like a post-colonial vision like what if you uh combined without being without any one personality dominating, right? Like, that's what that uber-slayer vision is. It's like, they all speak in this multi-vocal voice, right? Like, mm-hmm. no one is no one is not in, no one is in charge. Jumped to the very end, but... <laughs> Sorry. Anthony! Uh, you know I'm going to do it. You shouldn't have me on if you don't want me to do it. <laughs> I have, I'm an impatient person. Sorry. <laughs> so we're talking about the first scene where Riley and Adam are talking to each other. So... I do really like Spike's description of Willow. And he's like, so high, perky, good with math. Um, I feel like oh, that's a that... very weed-in description of one of the characters. <laughs> um, he also... Okay, can we talk about how, like, bizarre Adam's plan is? So 
he <laughs> he wants to put everybody in the initiative, right, to achieve maximum carnage, right? He wants Buffy in there to fight with the humans. How is that the best way to get, like, lab specimens? Like, isn't that going to damage everything that you want? Isn't well, it, like... Well, I don't think that he wants... Like, I mean, he just wants parts, right? So it's, like, if you damage... I mean, Buffy is a very efficient killer, so really what she would do is, like... <laughs> stab someone's heart or stab some kind of like major organ but she would probably leave their arms and limbs intact right which is what he needs <laughs> right okay <laughs> and i think if you like kill enough people that you can you can build from whatever parts you know are, are left over i think that the thing that doesn't make sense for the plan for me is like what happens once you do make a master race because i said this last time in that like Adam is kind of a cult leader and he has this very um, vision that a lot of people say is that like there needs to be a new type of person. People are incomplete. You are incomplete. I will complete you. And mm. then you and I will build this new thing together. And you're, you're, it's kind of like saying people, Hey, get in on the ground floor of this plan that I have. And that's, and, and Forrest is so susceptible to that because so, Forrest is so incomplete without Riley. And so, disillusioned with so much. And so it kind of makes sense that Forrest would fall in to, uh, he's a person who's very susceptible to cults, um, I think. And so I, my whole thing is like, what does Adam plan to do once he builds this race? Like that is never really mm. um, yeah. established. Like what like, would happen? What was... does, he, does he then plan to have like some kind of rogue militia that can challenge a nation for territory? I don't <laughs> right. understand. Right. Be like, what was Maggie Walsh's plan, really, is the question, right? right? Like, are these, like, <laughs> maybe they're just, like, good patriotic <clears throat> Americans. Like, that's sort of, like, Adam will give them, they'll, like, go and, like, I don't know what you guys are planning right now. Like, go to Iraq or something, like, to <laughs> to fight on behalf of the good old U.S. of A. Like, that is sort of built in there, right? Like, that is what the initiative wants. That is, this episode ends, like, we were talking about how the big bad is really, um... The Big Bad is really like friendship or whatever. The Big Bad is really the American government in this season, right? Like that's the last that's the last word is like they're going to shut down the initiative, but they're going to keep an eye out on Buffy and stuff like that we, was, was behind this. right? Well, you know, what's so interesting to me is that we got a season about going to college and the show resisted like having an evil dean, which would have been the easiest <laughs> thing to do, you know? Like, yeah. making college the big bad, and instead, like, created this shadow government organization that's living underneath the college. And it is this weird kind of, like, liberal university versus, like, patriarchal college kind of <laughs> symbiosis that they're, like, they feed off of each other thing. It's really weird. Yeah, it's true. Like, it resisted the easiness school. of having the evil dean. Yeah, in high school, the 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 school's like structures were evil. University has much less of a critique of as an institution, it seems. To be fair, I would have even liked an evil dean character. <laughs> it would so have been hard things... to make it not feel like a retread of the mayor. I think it's like Maggie Walsh is that in some ways. Um, also, I don't really understand like why she was a psychology teacher who's so good at splicing like robotic parts into demons, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand if she was like a psychology professor first who got in with the government or if she was like a government person who was who was like given a cushy academia job to subsidize what she was doing. <laughs> in which case, can we ever really trust any of the things she taught in psychology like Willow and we'll have to take those classes all over again. Well, I think right. Willow says in season five, well, she says when she, when uh, Tara and her 
fight after the multicultural festival, which is the second time we've referenced it, (laughs) talking about these episodes. She says, I know what a Freudian slip is. I may have learned Psych 101 from an evil (laughs) professor, but I know a Freudian slip when I hear it. (laughs) Right. And she explicitly, um, when she's choosing courses with Tara, is it this episode or last episode? She refuses to take... Oh, she refuses to take Psych 201, right? She's like, I'm a little psyched out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right, because then that's when she says she would take drama. Um, Oh, right, it's last episode with Miss Fantastico. (laughs) So then Willow goes, Willow and Tara go to Giles' apartment to pick up her laptop. And I I don't know why, but I feel like Anthony Stewart Head does a really good hangover look. Mm -hmm. Like, I felt that hangover. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, Yeah. when everything's, like, (laughs) too bright and everyone's talking too much, but you're trying to be, like, not a blob of a human and you're trying to be normal. Um, Yeah, I think think it's very easy uh, to look over that because we're so impressed by how well he plays drunk. I think he plays hungover better because you're absolutely (laughs) right. You feel that pain, but also he, yeah, is trying so hard. (laughs) <laughs> i want his robe that robe is beautiful he apologizes for it and he should not it's the most beautiful <laughs> garment it's the most beautiful garment he's ever worn but he's, he's also playing like five emotions at once like he's playing hungover but he's also playing like accepting of willow and tara mm-hmm. and also like acknowledging the fact that not only is he hungover from a drunk from being drunk he's hungover from a fight that his group of friends has had but He's also a friend, but he's also their mentor, so he, like, can't be as much in the fight. So I think he's actually playing, like, five or six different things What just from seeing Willow. Yeah. Like, I think he's actually trying to console Willow or, like, be like, I know that you're here with Tara and she's your girlfriend and, like, that's fine. Yeah. When Tara calls him Mr. Giles, yeah. my heart just breaks. Like, she's so sweet. And he's like, it's not even, it's clearly not even scripted. Like, Anthony Stewart Head is just trying to give her, like, the kindest possible eyes. Like... <laughs> Like, I want to say something to you, but I can't. It's so good and charming. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I always think Anthony Stewart and Amber Benson have, like, the tenderest tenderness to them. Where it's just, like, they're they're both just exuding, like, they want you to do well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I really, I mean, their, their duet in the musical episode is so important to me. But, like, oh. they have an unspokenness that I really find charming. Like, they never have... There's no source of tension. They understand each other. In some ways, they're more worldly than I've, any of the Scoobies. Like yeah. mm-hmm. they have, they have seen something of sort of outsider culture that weirdly, even Willow never seems to incorporate herself into as she like sort of lives yeah. as an out woman afterward. Like we have a sense that Tara has seen she had to run away, et cetera, et cetera. And like there's a kinship there I really admire. Yeah, agreed. Um, and then we get the uh, Xander and Anya scene, which I actually think is really sweet. Um, you know, looks I mean, so hot. Damn. He does look good. See, I'm telling you, <laughs> he really does. Like, just I feel like he he put on like weight. I guess between three and four, or during four, but it like works so well for him. He's like muscling up, yeah, yeah, but not even like he's not like. Super but you also muscly. just like between the ages of like sixteen and twenty five, you look completely different. Like every year, yeah, but he was me. like thirty. <laughs> oh, that's right. It's not the age of his character. Um, he's also allowed to have body hair, which he wasn't allowed to have last time we saw him, yeah. saw him shirtless, right? Like, yes. there's a little bit of pit hair, I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> he's naked. Anya checks under the covers. Is this the first time we've seen an exterior shot of Xander's house? Um, because it looks... It's huh. a well-cast house. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is definitely not Buffy's house, you know? Like, it is... 
a bit more it's like a bungalow it's a bit more ramshackle looking but not like falling apart like it's a good it's well cast and it's like oh i get everything like you get a lot of backstory about xander's life from that house right because even when even though buffy and her mother and you know there's always like talk of struggle with bills that house is still very nice yeah yeah clearly i mean they afford the house so clearly her mother can afford that house and it just makes sense that xander wouldn't live like xander's family wouldn't be in that house yeah 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 um and I, I, you know, I really love an Anya pep talk because Anya genuinely doesn't <laughs> give a shit. Yeah. And, you know, she means it. Like, her, when she's like, so they think you're a directionless, directionless loser. Pff, and just, like, brushes it off. She Anya, Anya genuinely feels that way. She genuinely yeah. feels like, so what, who cares about, you know, oh, your best friends think you're a loser? Who cares? Why is During that, that scene... Um, I wrote in my notes that I want a movie where Emma Caulfield and Emily Blunt just spend the entire time staring straight through you and seeing all your bullshit because they have the exact same eyes, the exact same staring through you. And it is amazing. It's my favorite things about that scene. Um, it's, it's like, it's early on in, in Anya's real post demon human quirks, but it's so fine tuned already. Um, just that, that. Yeah, she doesn't care, but she does care. She's in love with him, but she doesn't have real human feelings. There's just the nuance is beautiful. Yes. Is this her first I'm in love with you? Yeah. I believe so. It is. And so one of the things that I don't like about the scene is that I kind of feel like because it's a f- quote unquote finale or they know that like Restless is coming and that's going to be less about it's just going to be experiential that um they feel like they have to move the emotional needle somehow. And I always Mm. felt like this was, well, we have to have a relationship milestone because it's the finale. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I always kind of felt like this was just like, you know, just like during um, graduation day when Willow and Oz have sex or whatever. Like, it's just like they have to do it. And I always feel like this one was a little weirder for me. It's very stepped on, which I'm kind of okay with because, um, as much as like you could take this speech and have Cordelia give it, Emma Caulfield delivers it so differently than the way Cordelia would have given it. Like she delivers, <laughs> she's very good at delivering everything at kind of the same level and therefore stepping on like, not just the I'm in love with you at the end, but like the directionless loser at the beginning. Like <laughs> <laughs> on the page, the speech is going all over the place, but she plays it kind of at the same spot. So it's like, she doesn't really judge him at all. And like, you get that sense of like, whereas Cordelia, this would have been full of judgment here. It's just like, no, I'm in love with you. And like, I'm willing to admit it. And it's not like played as she feels like she's registering a great um, revelation. It's just like, she's being honest as she's always being honest. Also, I, I love want to say though, that I actually don't think that Cordelia would have to deliver this speech because I also think that if Cordelia had stayed on the show and they had like stayed, I mean, they wouldn't have been together obviously, but I also think Cordelia is <laughs> one of those people who wouldn't allow her man to be aimless and directionless. Like she's one of those women who like makes their men go in a direction. That is true, yeah. And, and it's not that Anya's not that, it's that Anya doesn't know enough about the human world to, like, tell Xander, even though she obviously knows that unemployment offices exist. <laughs> but, like, Cordelia would not allow Xander to, like, schlub. She'd be like, no, I don't care. You're getting a job, or, like, my dad will set you up with something. Right. <laughs> Cordelia also did not enter a scene with a stain on her blouse, which Anya has in this, which I find very funny. <laughs> There's, like, does. a black... Yeah, there's like a black stain on her um on her pink 
<laughs> on her uh, shirt. And it's like, all I can see when I'm watching it is like this black stain. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, then- so in my notes, this is where I have, which Anthony already stepped on. So uh, the Matrix came out in 1999. This episode was the year 2000. Um, Willow's nonsense computer screen where she's like decrypting it is like just Matrix nonsense. Like that, it doesn't even make sense, um, which is very 2000 computer movie TV look. And then, I mean, later on, it's very Matrixy, but I would not get ahead. Um, How would you even read a screen that was doing that? Like, like, <laughs> what are you, like where do you navigate that screen? Like, <laughs> where's the cursor? Where, like, what do you do? Mm. <laughs> maybe it's not even encrypted. It's just scrolling madly. Like, if it was slowed down, maybe it's pl- plain English. I think Willow is secretly, like, accidentally looking at a screensaver and doesn't know. <laughs> like, I think she thinks the discs are encrypted whenever she sees that, like, Windows 95 maze thing. <laughs> the maze screensaver. She's like, oh, my God, this computer's encrypted. How am I going to play Mist? <laughs> oh, no, it's the same. It's the flying toaster encryption. This one's impossible to hack. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I find really charming about rewatching this season is that sufficient time has now passed that I find it very cute the way the technology manifests. It's like, <laughs> oh no, they've hacked into the main, and you see the map, and it's like this MS DOS, <laughs> like, or when Buffy when Buffy breaks into Adam's old lair, and she's like, Adam was here, and you see like his old like desktop computers with like big ass screens. It's like, oh, <laughs> well, that my favorite moment of that is when they're looking at the schematics, and they're like, there's no there there, and they're looking at the electric line and it's like a, a yellow it looks like a subway map of like where the subway would yeah. go i love thinking like adam's like memory capacity is like 50 megabytes <laughs> <laughs> right like he has oh he has one floppy disks worth of memory at a time <laughs> like, he puts a, he, he puts a disc in at the beginning of this episode right he just like injecting wait, discs to himself you know what i you know what i want to know what would happen if they put the floppy disk that has the soul redeeming thing for Angel. Oh, if, what if they put that floppy disk into Adam? What would oh, happen? Then we could talk to the handsome guy with the blue eyes whose name we don't know. Yeah. That would have oh. been. <laughs> See, they should have saved that floppy. Or what if they uploaded a virus onto a floppy disk and made Adam put it in his thing? Or what if they just wrote Ebola on a disk? And <laughs> <laughs> What That's if they thought I would have gone? I would be like, fuck magic, y'all. We are just gonna go get we're just gonna go to a hacker and get a virus and put it on a floppy and put it in Adam's floppy disk. Oh, you know what they could have done? Like a really they bad porn. <laughs> okay, so remember in season one, when a computer reads Moloch's program, he gets uploaded in. So you could upload Moloch into Adam and then like they could fight it out the same way when they uploaded the demon into Angel that time and he True. fought. <laughs> you could do that oh my gosh um, <laughs> this is probably what was happening in the writer's room when they were writing how they would solve yeah. adam all i'm yeah. thinking and- is like god i could have just looked at a bunch of porn and given him a virus that way right <laughs> like- <laughs> going back to what we were so buffy sees the <laughs> going lair back to and- buffy <laughs> and then we also see that like uh riley is in the room with uh professor walsh and dr engelman Right. I want to know when Professor Walsh secretly did open heart surgery on Riley and he never noticed. Mm. I, well, I would like to know how Lindsay Cruz 
like left abruptly but was available to come back as a zombie version of herself i just want to say i don't think that's lindsey kraus because every other person who returned has lines and actually talks and her only line is like a badly dubbed like be a good boy one, yeah one line that she says and i really think that they just did heavy makeup on a lindsey kraus lookalike <laughs> they made a lindsey kraus mask um yeah I love how weird she walks because she's obviously supposed to be concealing all the like um, the like actual pump that's moving that like <laughs> colored water, and she's like, <laughs> it, it she's wearing, like she has like a she's very pear shaped. <laughs> yeah, she's out like, of nowhere. <laughs> also, that's a lot of like physical deterioration of the face of both those. Uh, considering, like, is that that's not a sustainable plan for Adam to have them as minions if they're going to deteriorate so quickly? She had to keep making more of them. That's what I'm saying. This plan makes no sense. Like, just, like, if you have... <laughs> obviously, it's not as dramatic, but if you have all those demons in confinement and the system can, like, put them to sleep, which we've seen already, <laughs> you can just gas them. Like, why wouldn't you just do that? It preserves the meat much better. Um, mm. But I was, like, I, in the last episode, I was talking about, like, the doom stuff here. And I do like that we also get... We have our cyber demon and now we have our zombies, too. Like, there's... It's nice to see... <laughs> <laughs> although they're terribly designed like why would you make the wires so easy to rip out which is what riley does to them eventually that like completely incapacitated yeah like it just <laughs> yeah <laughs> um I, yeah i was just thinking it was really weird that Lindsay Krause came back i i get that adam would want her there i don't know i felt like i needed it to be more psycho like i would prefer it to be like oh this is a rotting corpse that he's kept in this chair and just talks at and calls mother all the time Oh my god, like, I'd be obsessed with that. And like sometimes, yes. sometimes he kisses it on the mouth. Like that's that's <laughs> that's what right. I wanted. Um, because or she also, could have been like a disembodied like intellect, like in the computer or something. She could have been that Matrix code, you know? Right. Because that, <laughs> or like Karen from Sponge from SpongeBob who talks to Plankton. Uh, I don't get that reference. I don't. Yeah. I, <laughs> does no one watch SpongeBob? Too old. I think we're all too yeah, old I'm here. Too old for that uh, one. Okay. <laughs> well plankton is evil and his evil like his evil wife kind of thing is this care is this computer named karen who just throws shade at him and all of his evil plans oh oh yeah that sounds good to me like that's kind of yeah. like remember when in um hush when she was using the robot voice yeah. to talk yeah it would be nice if that had, you could have come back you could i don't know anyway if she was like siri yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Siri, but, but like part biting. of me, <laughs> but part of me does like this sort of. Was it this episode where I was talking about how Adam is um, sort of appropriating whatever he wants? Like I like that he took her plan and he likes her plan, but he doesn't need her alive for it, so he just kills her, and now she can just be a worker in it, right? Like the project can just take whatever it needs. It doesn't care about your life, right? Like there is something of there is something of patriarchy in that, that she can be completely enfolded in it to the point that she becomes a zombie, right? Like, zombies are always capitalist stories. It's always someone who has been enslaved by a system. Yeah. Um, and I kind of like that. I don't know if it is Lindsay Krauss or not, but insofar as we've paid off Maggie Walsh, it's not a terrible way to go, I don't think. Yeah. Um, so then we get, like, Buffy running into Spike, and I always thought it was weird that she doesn't get right away that spike works for adam that she's like oh you're here in this cave coincidentally <laughs> i mean I, I like i do like that at least she the thing she does pick up on almost right away when he's talking to her is 
oh, Spike has done all this. Spike is the one that, like, has been lying to us. Um, because, that, right, she doesn't put it together that he was working for Adam. No, she does, but yeah, it's okay. only after he trips up and is like, oh, now that you and Willow aren't talking. Right, right, right. She gets that he was the one who did it to separate them, but she doesn't get it when he's like literally walking outside of his door. Right, right. Um, yeah, the wheels come off this plan really fast, right? Like the disc also suddenly deencrypts itself. <laughs> it's like hmm, not sure about this either. Right, like, yeah. uh, and, and no one trying, like no, no one, neither Giles nor Willow nor Tara go. Wait, that feels like a trap. Like it feels <laughs> bad. It shouldn't do that. Because right. it, in a show that historically the characters are good about knowing when things are traps, right? Mm-hmm. Like Willow and yeah. Buffy are frequently like, what about the unspoken part of this note that says, hey, this is a big trap, right? Like this <laughs> yeah. is, uh, to their credit, they did figure it out this time, but yeah. it is it is inelegant as a plan that suddenly Adam and Spike's thing is like, oh, we boxed ourselves out of the exact thing we needed them to do, which is to decrypt the disc. <laughs> so Well, it's... It's kind of funny because, you know, in season seven, when Buffy has to, um, when Buffy is trying to convince everyone to go back to the vineyard to attack uh, Caleb, right? Mm. She says, the bad guys always go where the power is. And that's not always true on the show. It's kind of like a backdoor wisdom that's that, that doesn't really always apply. But it does apply here because adam is at the initiative just like unknowingly and his cave seems to just be a cave that shares a wall with the initiative (laughs) i guess (laughs) um but it's interesting because she needs to go where adam is to defeat him but that also does mean going to the initiative so it's kind of a weird thing where she's like she understands the plan and she understands that she that he wants her there to even the body count Mm -hmm. so the thing should be like well i'm not going to go there and give him the satisfaction but she Mm -hmm. also knows that he is there so it's kind of this weird thing where she like ends up contributing to the plan by going exactly what he wants her to do but it's also like well i have to be at the initiative because Adam's going to be there in a secret room. Well, it also has done, I guess, a pretty cool thing where it's made Riley the damsel in distress, right? Like, he is now, she has to go there because she has to get Riley back. She realizes he's not answering his phone, and she has to find him, and she figures out that that's where he is, right? Like, I mean, that is also an intuitive leap, but but she does get there eventually that, like, she has to save him. That's That's the clock that's running, I guess, in the episode. Yes. Um, once again, like Mark Lucas, God bless him. It's not always clear that Riley can't speak under his own power. People keep being like, "Why aren't you talking?" It's like he just seems like he doesn't want to. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I thought that Mark Lucas was doing a great job because his eyes were pointing. Like I was like, "What does Buffy not get that he like?" It's not like he's giving her the silent treatment. Like I'm mad at you. Like it's oh, very really? clear that he's pointing at the. Uh, tubed up demons behind her (laughs) tubed up demons Uh, i wish he seemed a little more stressed i guess i don't know (laughs) yeah uh i i do think even though like there is some there is some occasionally subtlety and nuance and uh talent in mark lucas's performance i do think there is some light gone from his eyes like that yeah that performance they're not i can't speak there are zombies behind you doesn't have the same uh energy to it that like when he, in his first two episodes in the beginning of the season, when he's being charming about, um, you know, do you, 
when he gets hit in the head with the books and he's being all sassy <laughs> with her later, uh, that that Riley is gone. And I know that might be a choice considering the the where he's been through the season and now he's being half chipped and all weird. Um, right. <laughs> I, I, I do think some of the nuance is gone and, and Mark Luke is just being, I'll just act sweaty. Like, right. I'm just being sweaty now. <laughs> Um, he does have his face off with Forrest, though. Like there is, there is some juice in there. Like Forrest gets his evil monologue about being surging with life, <laughs> and your will belongs to us now, and all that stuff. It is nice to have um, the monstrosity of like what Forrest has represented all season, sort of made like neonly explicit now that he's like fully demonized and everything. Um, I did like having that payoff. I didn't remember it as being as coherent a through line as it ended up being in this rewatch that like actually it is telegraphing that this guy is the problem that the way this guy thinks about the world is somehow malevolent um and i liked seeing that i liked tra- tracking that this time through mm-hmm. you know well and it's what i said earlier that i think that Forrest's uh personality is the type that would be sucked into a cult and specifically like one that would feel like he was getting some kind of power by being a butt boy for Adam and just like right. being a minion. Like there is a certain <laughs> a type of person <laughs> who feels like being a minion is being powerful because you're mm. close to power and Forrest is willing to be that, right? And and think and and it's very true to his character, I think, that he would take that position. And like it's it's kind of comical to me that he believes that Adam has made him almost as powerful as himself. Like, no villain would do that. <laughs> Nobody's like, right. hey, I built you, and you could almost outpower me. Like, no, bitch. You're... <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, also, also... Sorry, Chris, go ahead. No, I was going to say, why did he need to have both his lower jaw and his scalp replaced with the, with the yellow demon? <laughs> okay, wait, that feels like wait, a lot of work. we talk about Adam being hot, I think Forrest as a demon is hot. Yes, yeah. Agreed. He's... That growl is really nice. I also I like really like that like yellow coloring. The spot he looks like the same kind of demon. Remember in Slayer Fest '98, the episode. Yes, this, yeah, that yellow demon. I wonder if it's the same like hand. I said um, this in a lot of different episodes, but season four is definitely like a recycled costume season where they were kind of like, <laughs> what do we have in the depart in the in the demon department? Like we need yeah. to reuse it. We don't have a budget for new demons. Well, and they the- were like. Which explains why all the so many demons in the initiative uh, during the big fight are all wearing just angel and spike jackets. I was gonna say they all right. wear like ratty jackets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's why. That's why in season six they got like they got too much of a budget for new demons, and they were like, "Well, let's see how fucked up we can make these demons look." <laughs> I like that the um, the same weird creature that isn't a werewolf but looks a lot like a werewolf. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that was mistaken for Oz is now the thing that keeps appearing in this episode. It gets like actually the really cool effect where it gets electrocuted and all its hair stands up. But it's also the one that kills McNamara at the end. I like that it just like this demon is like quietly had an arc all season two. <laughs> um, also, I wanted to point out. Well, wait, before we get there, I feel like we should talk about the elevator scene, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, they meet in the the square, right? So the they, four of them figure it out. I, I and feel... also the sorry. The weird thing is that this whole episode takes place in like four hours. Yes, <laughs> they're yeah. all wearing the same clothes. Like yeah, which is weird because they must have had to think. Like I noticed that like okay, so Buffy's gonna do the crazy merger thing, and like how do you costume her, costume her to look like a Sumerian goddess? But she has to wear that like 
like sheer chemise the whole <laughs> the whole episode like <laughs> you were just wearing a sweater on top of a jacket the cable the heavy cable knit sweater we were talking about and now she's like in a visible sheer bra and like <laughs> Gossamer right. Like she's literally going to fight this <laughs> this like buff ass machine gun demon, and she's like, you know what? My bra should definitely be showing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. nothing says flowy and uh, and farty like mosquito netting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I love that outfit. Um, I love it too. I love how it looks. No one says it. we don't like it. I just love the idea of literally being like, I'm gonna go fight the patriarchy w- because <laughs> visible bra is feminism. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's definitely a step up from the three acres of knit, uh, but it's just not practical. If I was going to be rappelling down an elevator shaft, I would maybe want more layers, personally, so it wouldn't pinch, but she knows what she's doing, so. (laughs) So it wouldn't pinch. Um, So they get the meeting in the quad, and I actually wish we could have gotten a little bit more of a resolution. Like I like the elevator scene, but I felt like it almost felt, un- I mean, and I said this before, it almost felt unfair to Xander and Giles because they don't get the big makeup and they, I feel like everyone needed that. Yeah. Like the, the scene that Buffy and Willow get to have, kind of, they needed to have that with every one of the characters and kind of, because, you know, Buffy was really shitty to Giles almost this entire season. I mean, Xander and Willow are just kind of like, he tolerates them. I feel like he respects Willow. And... But Buffy had been, like, leaving him out of her life completely. Yeah. And, you know, I felt like her and Giles needed to have a makeup. And, I mean, I guess season five where she finally talks to him, it's at the end of Buffy vs. Dracula. I guess maybe that's the resolution of that, where she's like, hey, we haven't been training. We need to start training again. Yeah. I guess that's, that's maybe... That's true of the Xander arc, too, right? Like, Willow, they somehow decide that reconciling Buffy and Willow is enough whereas Giles's sense of feeling inadequate and Xander's sense of being like this emasculated jobless loser don't pay off until season five right like yeah. pretty early in season five but like it's not till episode three that Xander deals with his double who is like that like again like that direction he's the directionless loser and he has this like quote unquote evil double who is succeeding and it's only once he reconciles that, that is what he is like that that energy carries over. It doesn't go away. And they're still processing it in Restless, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, you're right. It just skips it. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, the the quad resolution is just them resolving, is just like them realizing, oh, Spike told us all these lies, but not addressing the fact that, but we still had this blow-up fight because it was coming anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, I do, I do appreciate them all going one by one. And Giles is like, oh, I'm extremely stupid. Because I feel like of all of them, Giles would be the most embarrassed that he believes Spike. Um, and, but then I, I, you know, and I love that them walking into the initiative, that's like in the opening credits. Is it the for the rest of the show, Matthew, that it's in the opening credits? What is? Them walking. The hero shot? No, yeah. that's only, so that lasts, um, oh, I think it, it might be. Maybe it's until season seven. I don't know. Yes, because then in season seven... I don't know. I'll have to look into that. It's um, definitely for four, five, and six. Yes, I yeah. know it's like there for a while. Um, which I guess... Oh, speaking of opening credits, like, uh, so this is the moment, I'm just thinking of the Jonathan Superstar opening credits where it's all Jonathan interspliced into it. Um, this is the beginning of that same thing that happens in season five where the incidental episodes ended up being more important than you thought. Like, at the end of season five... 
they need the troll god hammer and they need the, like the orb of whatever it was to like fight glory the detail we learned in superstar that adam has a plutonium a uranium oh, right. core becomes super yeah. important here all of a sudden right like yes. it's important that we saw that episode because it was never mentioned otherwise whereas it's like the the major plot point of how to defeat adam all of a sudden which is so weird right yeah because it's not even i don't think it's weird. weird it's not even super clear that they remember the superstar episode right, right. like the memories are fading mm. so it's like she says according to riley but it was important in that episode that jonathan figured it out so it's really it's just like an odd beat um that i really like like that it ends up not being as extraneous as it seemed to be yeah yeah, yeah. i like it a lot um but i do so while i hate that xander and giles are left out I do genuinely love the Buffy Willow moment we get in the elevator shaft uh-huh. because like we said in the last episode, we don't often get them apologizing and like they're both realizing, you know, Buffy fully owns up to being really selfish and totally absorbed with Riley. Um, and you know, that, that isn't just like an 18 year old thing that happens as an adult, like friends get in a new relationship and you don't ever see them. Like I, I, I don't know. I, I really, I, that felt very real and real to their friendship. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I just enjoy seeing them just like talk it out. I, you know, I watch a whole episode where they're just like hanging out talking. <laughs> absolutely. I absolutely agree. I, I I really liked that scene. I also felt like not only did it, was it a nice cover for the, the their, their arc this season, it's a nice handy reset button for the next season. Yeah. Like they, they can get all that stuff out and then go forward. I also think taking the time to do it while they're descending an elevator shaft from just a, making that work for TV perspective, really, really clever. <laughs> yeah, they're clearly cutting around the fact that there's only like 10 feet of elevator <laughs> shaft. Like, <laughs> um, I also like this is the only time really we get an articulation of what I was complaining about last episode, which is like, why, how does Willow feel about coming out? Because we only until now have really heard how she talks about it to Tara, where she's like, I wanted something that was all my own, et cetera, et cetera. And here's the first time she says, I was so scared. And I think that yeah. that's an important beat that we didn't get much of. It's a color to her coming out we haven't seen. And it's nice to have it here for once. Like, she was actually scared of coming out. It wasn't just, like, something she didn't know how to do. It was something that she was terrified of doing. And that felt important to me, like... A certain kind of dam has broken in this relationship, and now we can get to the place we're going to get to next season, where they can all be hanging out on the beach together. You know, yeah. like and it, mm-hmm. it felt like for me. So I paused this scene right after that, watched Beyonce's performance with Destiny's Child, <laughs> and then rewound this scene and watched it again. Um, and I felt so. I guess I was emotional because I got to see Destiny's Child do Save My Name, but I was like, <laughs> it made me feel extra emotional because it is the first time we see the coming out, like, I mean, Willow's not the main character, but as Matthew has said many times, by the end of the show, she is at least one of the main characters. Um, and it's really one of the few times we get that from her point of view, the coming out part. Um, mm-hmm. And I really, I don't know, that that feels real for her to just say I was scared. Like, even just, you know, and that's like really all she says about it, but that's, for me, that works. That works as her talking to her best friend, being like, I was just really scared. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I absolutely and, and to have them hug at the end, like yeah. in some ways the emotional math of the episode is now done. Yes, right. And yes. I, yeah. as much as there's a lot of like actually 
quite expensive and complicated looking effects happening from now on. Like the the arc is done. Now they can just sort of perform the fusion that they have enacted at the end of the yeah. the elevator, right? Like do the fight scene that they need to have. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I do like I do like Xander coming down and them all hugging him and him being like, "Oh God, we're gonna die." Um, <laughs> we know what's interesting is you talked about the emotional math is because like they do need to be like a united being for this spell and i actually feel like i think maybe it was in the season two finale when they were trying to do the spell for angel and it fell apart once and then willow's able to do it a second time i actually feel like it would have been really interesting from a writing perspective to have them had have tried to do the to do the spell once and not been able to perform it because they were fractured yeah and actually have them been like have to go through the emotional labor of like mending their friendship in order for the spell to work yeah that would have been yeah that would have been cool um and it would have made this the first slayer stuff in restless pay off better like the affront of it would have been clearer like mm-hmm. if you had had if you had had the spell not work and then had buffy say the thing about the pro- there's never a prophecy about the slayer and her friends and then had it worked that would have made that would have made restless seem more clear like to have not restless feels like it comes out of nowhere right like yeah part of the joy of that episode is like you literally don't know what's attacking them for a long part of it um but that math would have been clearer yeah i like that i think if i would have written the thing i would have had yoko factor maybe like i'd cut some of the some of what happened down a little bit and maybe had yoko factor end with like or there's a part where they try the spell and buffy Maybe when Buffy goes to fight Adam with Forrest or something like that, like they try that spell and Buffy doesn't get the extra energy and she ends up having to run away from Adam and she's like, it didn't work. And you guys like are bad at magic right? and like, fuck you. (laughs) And then they get into that argument um, and then they realize that like they need to work on their bonds and then they do the spell again and it works. Right. Like maybe yeah. you could do you could do this initiative thing, it fails, and then the finale is them versus um Adam and his cyber demons, right? Because he succeeds and he's got like an army. <laughs> yeah. And then you could have Sumerian super buffy kill all the cyber demons or something. Yeah. That would be fun. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely get into that. <laughs> but what I so what I love about after the resolution and, and the whole fucking stupid commando scene is when Buffy has this like truly saving Private Ryan montage <laughs> where they have to go through the initiative and there's all the carnage. It's, it's a lot. very like it's the very it's half saving Private Ryan, half um Wonder Woman no man's land scene. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um like there's just bullets flying, but they walk unharmed. Through- <laughs> I- I also like the uh, choreography of that scene as she walks, like it's very heroic, all slow-mo, and there's one big punch, and there's one big kick, and then there's one just like kicking the shins. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, uh, and, the, and the demon she's kicking g- goes down. To her credit, he, he drops like a bag of potatoes, <laughs> but just like, boop, in the shin. You yeah, can imagine Anya being there like, that type of demon, you have to kick him in the shin. That's the only <laughs> way to defeat him. <laughs> Um, I like that McNamara is like, you're dangerous, you're dangerous, and leaves two people to guard four people. (laughs) This will be fine. And he like walks away immediately. And one of them is not even a guard. One of them is just the computer guy. (laughs) Like the poor computer guy gets karate chopped when he probably would have been like, I'm not going to do anything. Like, just go. Like, I believe in you more than McNamara. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
I also really like that when they get to the lab, the 314 lab, there's like, what is, I used to work at a gas station and the piece of machinery that they use to block the door is literally just a slushy machine from, <laughs> from behind. <laughs> yes. <there. laughs> oh my God. I literally saw that and I was like, that's a Kool-Aid machine. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Is Maggie Walsh, are those tubes filled with Kool-Aid? <laughs> She's just I think sugar. I, people think it's blood, but it's actually just her go-go juice. <laughs> <laughs> um, is this the first appearance of the magic gourd? I think so. Yes, I think so. That I like the, I like the magic gourd because it's like, I don't know who created, I don't know if it's David Fury who wrote this episode, who's like created the concept of it, but it only ever shows up in Slayer magic, which I really like. Like it's always tied yeah. to like the first magic, which I really like. And here it is as a joke. Because um, right in season five, they have to bring the gourd with them, right? To... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> when he goes to the desert. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it shows up again in season seven. Um, um, yeah. So... I the the saving private Ryan shtick doesn't quite land with me. Like for me, I'm like, this is they're doing a lot here. Um I wish they had not had any of the bullet music and had just had like Sarah McLaughlin playing <laughs> as there's just carnage. I that then she would have been in seasons two, four, and six. I like the symmetry of that. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, this needed uh <laughs> But also, like, they don't play her any over over any carnage scenes, and that's what I really want, is, like, just a really soft ballad over just, like, <laughs> gunshots and stuff. So, and I mean, I I think a lot of this is they're doing a lot um, for the rest of this episode. I also have to say that um, on Buffy, they love to destroy a set. That's, like, their favorite thing to do in a finale. Um mm-hmm. You know, in season three, they literally blow up the school. They, in season four, they do this to the initiative, whatever it is. Um, season six, they blow up the magic box. Season seven, they blow up the whole fucking town. Um, <laughs> I I appreciate how much... I think of it as, like, Kill Bill slash Terminator type fights. Like, I feel like Joss really likes that kind of, let's smash everything Mm-hmm. Um, yep. and I, I'm always usually on board with it. I feel like that's why I always like when Buffy and Faith fight because they completely destroy whatever set they're in. Right. But then it's also really interested in returning to that set. Yes. It's, it's yeah. interested in spaces of ruin, right? Like the master occupies a ruined church. Um, we see, well, with, um, Angel, Angel is living in that abandoned mansion. Like we keep going back to the ruins of Sunnydale, mm-hmm. And we go back to the initiative several times. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Even though at the end of this episode, they say they're going to fill it with concrete. Yeah, they are they don't, liars. They did not. <laughs> liars. <laughs> Usual governmental contracting. They don't even bother. They just like put like some planks in front of it or something. They put a sign that says filled with cement, but... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. And that episode where they go back to the initiative is very like the descent. Like it's like very dark and there's just like only demons that can see in the dark have survived. And they're just like scavenging down there. Right, yeah. Um, Buffy, what is the casualty rate? 40% we learn at the end of this episode? Yeah. Uh, And Buffy, they say we would have lost everybody. I like the... I don't want to jump to the end. I'll shut up. (laughs) (laughs) So, Riley has to fight... While they're doing this, Riley has to fight... um, Is it just Forrest? Yeah, it is. Well, he kills, kills, yeah. (laughs) Maggie and Dr. Alderman, and then he fights Forrest. 
and gets Forrest to hold the flammable gas up to the open pipe. I have, I have to say that it's pretty brutal. When that explosion happens, you clearly see Forrest's like head yes. flying <laughs> out of the explosion. Um, <laughs> Hands up if when you had the DVD of that the first time, you rewound that three times just to <laughs> certify, that's his head. <gasps> that's his head. Did, did they make it up? Is it, is it made up to look like his head or is it just a head? It's made up to look like his head, but I believe it's it's clearly a dummy's head because it's head, neck, and a shoulder. But yeah. the neck and shoulder are just loose yeah. rubber. Oh, you know what? I bet I bet it's literally his mask that they mm-hmm. put over a dummy oh, head. Oh yeah, probably yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Amazing. God bless them. And his I, last I, words are "Watch me kill your girlfriend." I think. God. Which yeah, I think which is like like there you go like that the math is done on Forrest like that's yeah. where his like low-key misogyny eventually leads right yeah um so i I do say i do i mean i think we already talked about this but like riley pulling out the chip in his is it his heart or is it just like near his heart i think it has to be near only near because he couldn't do it with glass surely right right uh they say it's tied to his thoracic nerve but i don't know anything about real biology i only know about renaissance biology so i don't know where that is (laughs) anthony (laughs) i only know about renaissance biology if you want to talk about riley's humors i can help but i don't um i guess so the the thoracic nerve is actually she knows it goes it goes from your like hand to your upper shoulder oh okay so he's kind is he in the from like your hand to like near your collarbone Okay, so he's kind of in the, the right yeah. place then. And and not yeah, not not actually in danger of stabbing his own heart. Right. Yeah, but no, I guess the point is that he is heart. he is cutting out his heart, right? Like that's the idea, is like he is to survive this, he has to lose everything about his old life. He has to he has to cut forest out of his life, right? Like he's decided once and for all he's gonna be a Scooby now, right? That's yeah. the yeah, that's like the the choreography here, the like tableau, I guess. Um, I'm not sure he super sells how painful that would be, but uh, yeah, I assume it's I assume it's a follow on of the decision to just act sweaty that right. he's like <laughs> he doesn't have the capacity to act in pain because the chip is preventing it or mm. something. Right. That's what I had thought that his that his he was actually being like the pain was being dulled. Sure. Oh, that works. They're pretty good about this, right? Like he has the scar later in yeah. season five, doesn't he? Yep. Um, I was in a yeah. yeah. I and I appreciate like little things like that because <clears throat> Cordelia also has the scar in Angel from when she fell through the steps. Oh, but, right. that's her real scar. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say, but to be fair, it's because she has that real scar in real life. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, the only moment in that whole scene where I was pulled out of the the fiction of the narrative was uh, after he cut it out and he was fighting Forrest and Forrest kicked him square in the chest. Because all I could think of was, no, you'll get your wound dirty. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's down there. Like Riley probably has to take some antibiotics. Yeah, he <laughs> needs a tetanus shot for sure. Yeah. Just like a few. <laughs> um, I and you know what? So then we get, is it right? Out, yeah, it's right after that. they do the joining spell. I have to say, watching it this time, I was like, why the fuck didn't they do this for Glory and like every other villain? Right. Because right. Well, I guess they've offended the first evil, or the first Slayer. So. Right, but like that's the worst that happens is that like the first Slayer haunts their dreams, but like that's it. 
So you that's not so bad. Yeah. Right. They should totally every episode they should have a long like Voltron sequence where they like make the, med- <laughs> the Megazord of Buffy every episode. It's the same every time. I like the cards. I wish we got a better view of the tarot cards they're using. Yeah. Um, Agreed. They're not real. Like those. There's no cards named that. But they're clearly Manus. using the yeah. They're clearly using the Hermit for Giles, which I thought was cute. Um, but you don't really see the other ones. Willow's looks kind of cool, but I can't quite make it out. And um, what are they again? They're mind, spirit. It's Sophus for mind, Manus for hand, which is Buffy, Animus for spirit, which is um, Willow. And I forget. I mean, I know. No, spirit is for spirit and Animus for heart. So Animus for makes, heart, yeah. Xander is the Marty from Captain Planet of this group. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, is, which is like, okay. Like, all I right. Mean, well, Xander had... would be the one of them to, like, own a monkey <laughs> and have a monkey companion. <laughs> like, the, the By the transitive is... property, he is the Ross of the group. So that is true. 100% <laughs> true. <laughs> I just like the selling the, the vital components to make this one thing. Like, yeah, the wisdom and the magic and the power. And, and, the, first, so and, and the first Slayer is, like, Gaia, played by Whoopi Goldberg. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm into this now. Um, so, so Giles speaks Sumerian. That's his skill, right? That's what he yep. brings to the table. Yep. That's his yeah. art for the season. He remembers he speaks Sumerian. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny that you brought up The Matrix earlier, Ian, because in the director's commentary on the DVD... Ooh, she loves the director's commentary. Uh, Joss Whedon says specifically that the whole fight scene was influenced by the Matrix because, like, everyone after they saw it was like, how can we take some of the technology that the Matrix did and put it on Buffy? And so, like, the Buffy fight scene between Adam and Buffy was all Matrixy stuff that they wanted to do. Well, it's funny that that happens because uh, in Australia, okay, I need to give you some insight into how Buffy was aired in Australia. Um, what time did it air here, like, on its first run? Like tu- like Tuesdays at eight, eight p.m. Okay, or nine. In Canada, eight p.m. in Canada. I don't know about. Yeah, it was eight p.m. for Buffy and nine p.m. for Angel here. Yes, yes. We got Mondays at ten thirty p.m., which oh. is the equivalent of like, well, we've got it. We don't like it, but fuck it, we'll just put it on whenever. <laughs> no one cares about ten thirty, and they and like all the critically acclaimed but low audience shows went there 30 rock went there years later parks and rec went there years later uh but buffy was yeah 10 30 on a monday night and no one gave a shit no one is never got any promo or advertising until this episode and all week all you got was if you love the matrix you'll <laughs> love this episode of Buffy. <laughs> monday 10, and, they, and they just gave and they showed the whole ending they showed the entire fight so <laughs> spoiler alert um, but yeah, out of out of seven years, they advertised that one episode one time just because if you love the Matrix. <laughs> uh, good for that. I like the doves a lot. The bullets thing is very That's my favorite good. one was the dove part. Yeah, I, I love that. Yeah. I wish they had like caught those doves and like raised them along with the cat. <laughs> <laughs> along with the monkey that, that, that Xander would have. Um, maybe or... Along with Miss Kitty Fantastico, maybe they could be, like, yeah. a sign of lesbian love. They just doves. start raising, like, animals. That'd be sweet. Um, it's an okay fight, like, for what it is. I'm not a fight guy. Like, I'm never, like, ooh, I can't wait to see this fight. Um, oh, I am, and I loved it. Really? <laughs> yeah. Fully a fight well, guy. It's funny because 
Adam is actually not much of a fighter. They have to give him that gun because he moves very slowly. He kind of lumbers. Mm-hmm. And they have to give him that gun because he can't really take Buffy one on one. And then Buffy breaks his, you know, breaks his arm thing, his whatever skewer thing, yeah, his skewer or whatever. Um, I'm not too so yeah, I'm not too much of a fan of this. I mean, it's not like it's fucking like Buffy v Angel or Buffy v Faith, but like. But this fight did give us the triple kick, which became a signature move of both Buffy video games. Truly, oh. truly, truly. Mm-hmm. Speak on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so a special place in my heart for that triple kick. All right. Yeah. I mean, See, I... it feels very matrixy, but I've still, I am into it. Like, I feel like the running through the battlefield is too much for me, but yet somehow this scene that is also too much, isn't too much for me. Like, I'm like, yeah, I like this. This is cool. Yeah. The effects and it are also a little... sets up next season, right? Like Buffy taps into the, the primeval, <laughs> the primeval <laughs> energy that, informs who she is as a person and like we're now ready to process that for a season and sort of tell what really is in a lot of ways the last story of Buffy right is like well what what is this thing to which you are connected and then gets her ready for the the end of season five and then mm-hmm. yeah. and then we have the problem of like what happens if there's a story after the last story <laughs> but <laughs> um, I mean season five is season five and three are my favorites but I still I wouldn't have liked if that's how the show ended like I don't, we I don't talk about that one. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I like here that it is sort of what it does a nice job of setting up is that it's like it's cool and it's also spooky. I like that her eyes are so weird, you know, yeah. like it's yeah. not like it's not like, ooh, she's sexy hot. It's like, no, this is fucked up in some ways. Like something yeah. bad is happening here. <laughs> um, and I like that a lot. And then it's like and just when you're freaked out by her, it's like and then some doves show up like it does a good job of catching that sort of like the sublime of it. Like it's scary and it's beautiful at the same time. Um, yeah. yeah, and even even then, from uh, after those two big special effects, the the bullet wall and the doves, the first actual fight, uh, Buffy fight scenes have always been very uh, lots of blocks, like punch block, and, yeah, they, yeah. and she's strong; she can just just deflect a punch. But the first thing she does is just sway around them and evade them entirely. That's a whole new style of fighting, which oh, in itself true. is a bit spooky. Hmm. that's true i hadn't thought of that yeah she doesn't do that it's very rarely it's actually something that you feel like would happen when buffy first encounters someone that's too strong for her to fight like she keeps trying to land a punch and the person is too fast or something and it's supposed to be this kind of turnaround where adam is slowly realizing that he is outmatched right Mm-hmm. because he is that type of villain who's like I have this all figured out and like I have the tricks and if it came down to mano a mano like I could easily kick Buffy's ass right mm-hmm. I think Hertzberg does a really good job of um, sell like his line is very interesting but he's clearly like shitting himself I like that a lot <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. come to think of it it also gives her like if Adam is supposed to be this messianic figure there is something clearly like goddess-like about her here. Like it becomes, he becomes sort of exposed for the charlatan that he is when like she's so easily able to like perform these miracles, you know? Like, yep. Right. Like something- he, he is exposed. You're exactly right. Like he can't, well, he's also this war machine and she physically removes his gun. I mean, not physically, she magically makes his gun arm go away. And then she turns his, um, what is it that she turns into doves? I is think it's the, no, a rocket. 
Yeah. A miss- it's like, like a, a rocket, r- right? Yeah. Missile. Right. So everything that he knows, like what he knows is brute force, right? And so mm-hmm. in evading his movements, not only is it a fight tactic, it's actually saying like, I'm not going to fight you. Like there is not going to be violence right now. Yeah, like, she, yeah. Like, she doesn't engage with the physicality of it. So it's an anti-fight in a way, right? Like there will be no bullets. There will be no rocket. There will be no mano a mano. There will be no that you, right? <laughs> the only The only tools that you have to defeat me don't, even matter because i'm not here for violence like it she just doesn't even Mm. engage Mm -hmm. and it's actually super powerful and it's a message about like the initiative and patriarchy and like the tools that men build to wage their wars like they don't really matter in this moment yeah it's like she takes away his uranium core right like it's Mm. like a it's like a disarmament (laughs) metaphor too right like this will not be allowed either yeah that's really good that was so well said, Matthew. If I could tongue pop, I'd do it right now. <laughs> Thank you. Maybe if I like flick my mic, does that sound like a tongue pop? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is it just that? Yeah. yeah that. Oh, I can't do that. Huh. I also can't whistle. <laughs> Ian, you're a drag queen prodigy. <laughs> I can also roll my R's. My grandma taught me how to do it. Mm. All right. All right. <laughs> Puerto Rican. I'm not going <laughs> to congratulate you on that. <laughs> I remember her being like, "No, you have no. You're not. You're doing it wrong. Do it this way. No, this way." And it was just. I, then I learned. Yeah. Anyway, um, do I have so she else? gets his, his plutonium core, which is covered in ramen. And even that looks very <laughs> not Buffy, right? Like that almost looks right. like something from a Tim, Bur- Tim Burton movie. Um, mm. The way it's like got all the I don't even know what the like yeah the roots attached to it. I don't know. Uh, I think it's weird because, like, all of a sudden, Buffy is dealing in a series of different references than it usually makes. Like, that's why it feels so weird to us. It's like, Buffy is always referencing something, but it's usually referencing, like, Bella Lugosi or, um, like, Nosferatu. And, like, all of a sudden, it's, like, The Matrix. It's, like, Doom. It's referencing, like, the last scene is very X-Files, you know? Like, and it feels weird because it's almost a different language than Buffy's (laughs) Mm -hmm. used to speaking. So it shows up to us more. Um, but it's kind of always doing that, right? Like Buffy's always reminding you of something else. It's just like speaking in a different tongue. It's, yeah, it's just changed its references to be much more updated for this for this two parter. Um, I do like I do like the X Files wrap uh, yeah. wrap up on it, like the sort of. Uh, well, I don't want to get there because there is like the spike scene too, right? No, we can it's get like, there. I don't yeah. have anything to say about the. If, if anyone wants to say something about say something about the spike scene, I don't have anything to. You mean say. him walking, him saving them? I mean, it's kind of like okay, he's they're gonna let him live, and it's like, why would you really? Like, yeah. He clearly just. Tried I also to thought kill it was him. well. I actually just thought it was weird that Spike stayed for the fight. Like, if Spike knew there was gonna be casualties, I actually think that Spike's the type to be like, well, I'm getting my ass out of here. Haven't we? Like, he kind of they... had an out. I thought yeah, he would have then they establish that, like, whenever there's a fight with other demons, he's there for he it because it's the only time he can punch things. <laughs> yeah, but I there's mean, also a very high, high, like, chance of him getting massacred too. True. I don't know. Well, see, that's again. I feel like this should have been. He he saved them. I mean, he saved them so they wouldn't kill him. But he could have just run away so they wouldn't kill him. Um, he this should have this should have been his turning point. And like, I just it really. Spike just wavers a little bit too much for me. And I know that you said he's like a freelancer, but I think him going in to save them doesn't make sense unless he had a change of heart. Oh, um, you would want him to actually have a moment where he decides to really save them? Like, yeah, I mean, because he does. He re- There's really no reason why he would 
Like, he goes in there and he, like, makes a joke about them not staking him, but why would mm-hmm. they stake him if a monster went in and killed them? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, I, now that I, I think I, about it, there's no, like, if you, if you, the whole point of this massacre is to leave body parts behind. Vampires don't leave body parts behind. So, like, <laughs> yeah. What, what's That's the true. goal there? So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I honestly thought that he killed that, um, monster by accident like not to save them but just kill it because he was killing it and (laughs) and then just took credit for saving them and i would like to maybe have that have been played up more because that would make more sense to me if he's just like i'm gonna kill this thing bah i killed it oh no it was gonna eat the people i hate the most right yeah that would yeah that would that would work for me um yeah so mcnamara dies oh right from that non-werewolf uh, and then we get the boardroom wrap-up thing, um, which I said, like, very X-Files. Graham survives, I think, right? Yes, like, we, we never see, see Graham die. We see him again. Do we? Yeah. Oh, that's right. He comes to fetch Riley. Yeah. Because yeah, we, we don't see him at all in this episode, I don't think. I think we see him during the fight Do we? a few times. Okay. Because um, we never really see him upset about, like, we don't, I mean, we don't really spend time with anyone being upset about Farz being dead. Um, well, nobody cares, really. Yeah, yeah I mean, I guess, yeah. <laughs> Only I weep her for us. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and then they say they're going to expunge the research, right? And then they say yeah. they're going to burn it down and salt the earth, which is like a weird, weird reference to make. It's like, what is that? Like, salting the earth is like from that Tacitus quote where it's like, we salted the earth and called it peace, which means like, you didn't learn anything, right? So like... Even as he's saying, like, we must destroy this, he's sort of reinstantiating the fact that this patriarchal system will keep functioning the way it functions. Mm. Which even, you know, in, in itself, like, we're going to strip all the data and uh, cement in, which they don't, the initiative, <laughs> they're not going to give any of the information about the demons to the Slayer. Right. <laughs> like, it, that in itself is so patriarchal and, and, and hyper-masculine, like, no, she can't have any, we'll just burn it. Yeah. Yeah, if we can't have it, no one can. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the whole, I mean, we never find out who these people are. It never matters again. It's just like that, because that's the way Buffy's universe operates, right? right? Is like, mm. these systems keep functioning, and her job is to just sort of handle the wor- the next apocalypse <clears throat> yeah. that these systems cause. <laughs> um, so I wanted to point out that the fact that, so, you know, she defeats Adam, and then they go into the, like, currently being burned down initiative, and it just kind of cuts... And we know that everyone's fine. Um, That's actually a thing they revisit in the comics in a story called Notes from the Underground. It's like exactly like that. Like everyone's captured. Adam has enslaved humans. He's like back as some like ethereal demon angel type thing. Oh, Um, really? And uh, like he, like all demons work for him in Sunnydale and Faith and Angel actually come in and save the day. Like the Scoobies have all been captured. Buffy's on her own. And Pike from the movie comes back and he like breaks her out of the initiative and then Angel and Faith like help her fight their way through. And once they get there, it does the exact same thing where it like they show the lights start to blink and then they like go like black in a panel. And then the next panel is them all like at Buffy's house. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Restless is the next is this night, right? Like they they finish fighting this and then mm-hmm. they go to sleep is that literally what happens i think so right matthew sorry say it again so like they 
finish fighting Adam at the initiative and then they go to sleep at Buffy's house. Like it's the same night. The, the night that they're having the dreams in Restless is I believe night. so. Yeah, yeah. I think th- I think that's right. Yeah. So that's why we don't get any kind of wrap up scene for them. Right. Is like because they're going to spend the next 50 minutes processing. Right. What just happened to them. Right. Yeah. Um, so are we are we there? Are we at the end? I think we are. I think we are. Yeah. All right. Uh, favorite outfit, Matthew. Oh. Hmm. It's hard. You know what? I'm gonna. I'm. I'm gonna say that. I don't know. I don't know. I actually don't know. <laughs> I really don't. There weren't. It's not a great outfit episode. You were already I, talking I about say... the chemise, the little like. Uh, the no, I didn't. Oh I did. no. I did. That was uh, Ian who loved it. That's oh, oh. that's. Ian, what's your favorite outfit of the episode? <laughs> it's that. But I do. I I think actually I like Forrest's um, camel print with his demon body. Yeah, I think it looks better on him than when he wore it as a human. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. It's popping against the yellow. It's really it gorgeous. Really is. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all He's are weird. Um, Anthony, what's your favorite outfit of the episode? Well, I was gonna say Forrest's makeover, <laughs> but if that's taken, I'm gonna say Giles's robe. We allow for overlap here. Um, <laughs> so soft and so like, if I'm going to be hungover, I want to be hungover in that robe. <laughs> Christopher, favorite outfit? Uh, I'm cheating. Uh, no outfit. Uh, the the chemise is taken. Forest is taken. Nothing Willow or Xander was wearing is worthy. Uh, <laughs> the the 50s pastel but candy bright blue phone that's in Buffy's I assume dorm. That's my favorite outfit because. <laughs> In the episode, I don't forget why, but she picks up the, picks up the phone. I literally did a gay gasp. I'm, I'll, I'll admit it. That <laughs> she picks it up because she wants to call Willow and apologize, but she ah, doesn't. Okay, thank you. She picks up the phone, and I literally went, <gasps> I want that phone. <laughs> so that phone is my, my favorite outfit. All right. All right. Um, favorite scene, Anthony? Oh. Uh, bu- 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 I don't know. Uh, maybe when the doves happen, I really like the doves. All right, all right. Uh, or no, you know what? The repelling scene when they're going down the elevator shaft—that's the best scene in the episode. That's the climax of the episode, really. So yeah. that's my. Uh, Christopher. Um, honorable mention to the uh, Giles's bathrobe scene. <laughs> um, but I'm just going to go with the the fight with Adam, the the evading all the punches and the triple kick. All right, Matthew. I will double up with uh, Chris on the final scene, the the final fight. And I'll double up with Anthony because the elevator shaft scene is my favorite. All right, gentlemen, are we ready to grade the episode? Uh, yes. We're not. We're skipping Dawn on this one. Oh right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> unless anyone has, a, I I feel like Dawn. I put she would have been at home. I think she would have ended up being one of Adam's henchmen. And... <laughs> She, because <laughs> he would have listened to her. You think so? Um, oh my god! I think he, was, he was very fond of children. They both they both want to oh, know about the world. But he kills children. <laughs> He's not like fond of them. He rips them apart. He also kills a lot of other things. Ian, gosh, wow! <laughs> he kills everything he loves. I guess. <laughs> I, I guess so. Yeah. Matthew, is this like our last time saying what would Dawn be doing? No, I guess. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, right? no, it is. <gasps> it is. It's. Oh no. No, you, you'll do it for Restless. You'll do it for Restless. I guess, but that's kind of like so <laughs> abstract. What would Don? What would Don be dreaming? 
<laughs> oh, I, I have a what would Dawn be doing. I just okay. thought of one. I figured it out. They bought her one of those store-bought piñatas to keep her occupied for the night. They couldn't trust that she wouldn't try and get involved. So they just chucked, got a piñata, threw it in a room. Hey, Dawn, this is for you. She spends the entire night trying to bang it open and then eat the candy inside. <laughs> I think she's getting ready for the sleepover. She's super excited and she's like planning board. She's got like dream phone out and she's like planning, <sighs> planning for when they're coming over. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, I know. I changed my answer to Anthony's. All right. I like that. Okay. I know, Matthew, we're so close to Dawn. I feel like we're speeding through the show. Question now should be, what wouldn't be do- Dawn doing? Like, <laughs> if Dawn, if Dawn, answer, didn't, if Dawn didn't exist, what would this episode have been about? That, that <laughs> your season five question. Or the answer from now on of what would Dawn be doing would just be, well, swirling around in the massive ball. Of- <laughs> <laughs> Same answer every time. <laughs> Um, all right, so now we're going to the episode. Uh, I uh, do I, I give this episode a C plus. I think that's my grade. Christopher, what's yours? Uh, a minus. Right. Uh, it made me feel better about the plot lines that had happened in the episode before. Um, there was some ma- purely like I know it's been eighteen years, but purely majestic special effects, uh, and everything felt nicely resolved and also like bumped for season five. All right. Anthony? Uh, this is an A for me. I, I think it's doing all the work it wants to do. Um, it's not the A... I don't get to rate Restless, but it's not the A plus I'd give Restless, but it is like... It is a sad... Actually, I missed Restless because I didn't know there was another episode this season. And like as a season finale, I was like, okay, that worked for me. Um, <laughs> it, it it works. It does what it wants to do. So I, I give it an A. Matthew? I'm going to give it an A-. Oh, huh. huh. I'm the hard grader. I'm never the hard grader yeah. in the wow. show. All right, well, thank you guys for joining us for both these episodes. Thank, thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, if you would like to follow our podcast on Twitter, you can follow us at SlayerFestX98. If you want to follow Matthew, he is at Matthew Rodriguez, one T, a G, and a Z. If you want to follow Ian, he's at IanXCarlos. And if you want to follow Christopher Downs. Yes. Oh, I'll say it. It's, <laughs> uh, it is at Chrysopotamia. It's like Mesopotamia, but with a Chris instead of a mess. Did I overexplain it? I think I overexplained it. <laughs> <laughs> because you're the, the Chris in Two Rivers? What would that mean? Chrysopotamia. <laughs> I, I honestly... I always, now, Anthony, I always made the mistake Reddit. of thinking I thought about this a lot. <laughs> oh. and in fact, all I did was like, "That sounds like Chris. I can make a name out of it." <laughs> and Anthony, I had sorry, made... I didn't mean to overthink <laughs> it. I'm just like, I'm thinking about like Potamos, like hippopotamus <laughs> is like a river horse. You're a Chris of the river. I think it means Chrysopotamia. I have been misreading. That's why it was. <laughs> that's why it was Chrysopotamia because Chrysopotamus was taken by someone else on the internet. <laughs> Literally, why? <laughs> wow. So I have been well, misreading I... his name as Chris Top Mania. So oh. for like the longest time. Yeah, people have some interesting <laughs> ideas about me and my preferences based on misreading Chris Top Mania. <laughs> Anthony, where can everyone find you? <laughs> I am. Uh, if you type Mia Koopa into almost any platform—Patreon, uh, Twitter, Instagram—you will find me there. So M E A K O O P A. Yay. Um, all right, guys, thank you for being on, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>